welcome to Scoop FM, the official podcast of Shad Dynasty League, one of many leagues it counts. I'm your host, Dan Belinke, joined by my friend and co-host, Devin Rambo. Devin, say something now. Hello, everyone. Nice job. Very obedient. We're here to talk about Week 11. Well, you'll notice that we're quickly approaching the Week 13 season of the NFL, but Week 12 didn't conclude until Wednesday because everything is just a complete cluster. You know, I was hosting people for Scoops Giving. My family came into town. It's a big holiday for everybody. Everybody around here loves Scoops Giving. Um, and it was a great time, but then, you know, I was so, so preoccupied with getting the house clean, taking care of the guests, all these things, you know, um, and then I just felt depressed. I felt like this season was bound to get shut down just with the Steelers news, what was happening around the league. So many COVID players, the Broncos quarterback situation was just a cluster. So I really didn't feel like putting it out there, but this was a monumentous occasion this week in our league was one for the history books. So even if it's a little late, and even if we're just going to kind of gloss over everything quickly, for the record books, this needs documented. This needs its own place cemented in the book of life so we can return and look upon what a glorious week this was. And we'll get to that in just one second. In terms of the Steelers being frauds, I've heard it all before. But what do you want them to do? They've beaten every they've beaten every team. They've won every game. So obviously, they've beaten every team above 500 that they've faced. The Ravens twice, the Browns, the Titans. And I mean, yes, they got lucky to pair up with the NFC East. And you can make the argument that hey, if the AFC North in general wasn't paired up against the AF uh, the NFC East, maybe the Browns don't have as many wins as they do. Maybe the Ravens don't. The Steelers probably don't. Okay, and they also got lucky because they got to play the AFC South. Two great, or pretty good, top teams in the Titans and the uh, and the Colts, depending on the week you get them. And two lousy teams in the Jags and, and Texans, but at least the Texans are frisky. So, look, it's luck of the draw, but this is just how it happens. And I got a newsflash for you. Where is everyone coming after the NFC West? Right at the start of the year, when we saw how the teams were coming into fold— you know, there was a little bit of a debate. What's the better division, AFC North or the NFC West? My argument to that was, well, the NFC West plays no defense outside of the Rams. Everyone else's defense stinks. The Niners would have a good defense, but they're too banged up. The Cardinals are speedy. They make impact plays, but they give up tons of points. And the Seahawks, you've seen, they're on pace for a historically bad defense, though some of that has been quelled uh, with the return of a healthy Jamal Adams. But guess what? If you don't know about the NFL scheduling, every year you play 16 games. You got to play the three other people in your division. Three, uh, it's twice each. That's six games. You have 10 games to fill. So you play one division in the NFC, those four. One division in the AFC, those four. That makes eight. You have two more games, and they do they give you an AFC and an NFC opponent. I think somehow based on like how you you stood in in overall league standings in the year prior. I don't really understand how that's determined. But regardless, so like we mentioned, the Steelers and everyone in the AFC North match up with the NFC East and the AFC South. So four bum teams from the NFC, two from the AFC, so everybody gets some wins. Okay, great. Well, here's your heralded NFC West with, oh my God, it's teeming with potential MVPs with Russ and Kyler. It's also teeming with very up and down performances. If the Rams, if if Jared Goff plays like 80% competently, they're golden because the defense is great. 
But then he has games like he just had against the Niners, and you don't even know what to think of this offense. He has Bucks games. He has Niners games. I mean, the Cardinals are up and down. Kingsbury's a fucking nimwit out there. More worried about slamming Poon on his marble floors than actually working on clock management or any type of on-field decisions. Pete Carroll's defense stinks. So, what are we to make of this? Why is nobody talking about this, huh? Because who the fuck does the NFC West play this year? Oh, that's right. The NFC East. That's their NFC matchup. Nobody wants to bring that up. Everybody says, well, the AFC North is clearly the, the NFC West is the better division. The AFC North gets all those bum wins from the NFC East. So do they. They do too. And here's the thing. Here's the fucking thing. I don't want to say that the NFC East is good because they are bad. But if regardless of what your schedule say says, if we just looked at all the teams top to bottom, I think most people would agree that the AFC North and the NFC West are the two best divisions. Now, within your own division, most teams typically average around 3 and 3. You're usually looking to split. You hope to win all your home games against your divisional opponents. You hope you can win all of them, of course, but most teams in most years split. And that poor NFC East is stuck playing the AFC North and the NFC West. Maybe that's why their record is so fucking bad. Because they're splitting with each other, and then they're coming up against the two best divisions in football. I'm not saying they're good, but I'm saying all this talk about, oh, look at the combined wins, blah, blah, blah. Look at all the teams below 500, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's because they got fucked. They got fucked. Like, I don't think they're good by any means, but in a, in a year where they weren't matched up with our two divisions, our great fine divisions, the leader of that probably has six or seven wins, not four. That's my rant. That's my rant is over. I don't know if the Steelers are the worst 11-0 team of all time because for some reason, I don't know if the 20-year-old um, who has the fucking uh, Bill's record in his Twitter name that comments under every Adam Schefter post about how the Steelers are the worst 11-0 team he's ever seen. I don't know how many 11-0 teams he's seen in his lifetime, how he's been tracking them and how he's comparing them to now. The truth is they're playing classic Steelers football, which is playing down to their competition. A lot of games are close, closer than you'd like, up and down, but winning with strong defense for once. And another problem with them is they can't get a run game going at all. So in a lot of games where they've actually handled it for the first three quarters, in the fourth quarter, they just can't close it out, which is allowing more teams to get backdoor covers and, and getting closer than you think they might be able to because the Steelers just can't run a ball to save their lives and end a game. So, I mean, I don't know if they're the worst of all time. They, they've been helped by the schedule, certainly. But, I mean, there's no doubt they're one of the top three teams in the AFC, Right. I mean, does it really does it really matter? Like, yeah, I would I would assume if the Chiefs played even in Pittsburgh, Vegas would favor the Chiefs. And that would be the smart thing to do. But anything can happen on any given Sunday, and everybody in this league should be well aware of that because of these week eleven matchups. Oh man. We uh in in terms of uh the, the battle between our divisions, the bullshit and the cuck league. Well, unfortunately, actually fortunately because it was a great game. Who gives a shit? Uh, the, Cuckley, uh, the bullshit division came out on top in our intra-conference game. So that it now puts the overall record to 12-10. and 10. Cuck is still on top. Let's get into some of these. Myself versus Nate. Now, Nate won 
to 68.82. It was what? The uh, the third lowest score of the week. It was the highest winning score. And yeah, I put out a bum lineup. I put out a bum lineup. If you put in my usual crew of starters, I score around 150, right? I actually would have scored the most in the league for the week. And everyone's saying, damn, what, what in hell are you doing? Right? You, you went on this whole rant about how Dave and Matt were shoe-ins, but didn't you realize you were going to outscore both of them and you were going to jump up a game and you could have been higher up in the standings? Yeah, I got that. But I knew what was coming for my team. And if I could look ahead to week 12, which I won't do because I have integrity and we're not there yet, I would say that I was prescient in my decision to purposefully tank this game. First of all, I want to get my friend Nate a win. He's my friend. What am I supposed to do? Okay, but otherwise, I knew shit was coming down the line. Now, did I know Lamar and Mark Andrews were going to get COVID? I'm not going to answer that question. But did I know that I probably did not have the juice in light of all the recent moves that people had made to really go all the way through the playoffs? Yeah, sure. You know, and maybe did I start thinking to myself, gee, Willikers, am I going to do this same thing again where, you know, I had a good start to the season? Well, different last year. I had a slow start and then I picked up steam. But have a great start to the season, kind of limping into the playoffs, have injuries year in, year out, you know, not going to get a bye, going to have to play that first round, and then get bumped. You know what I mean? Go against teams that are consistently scoring 150, 160 when I've been in the, the low hundreds for the past three weeks in a row outside of this one good week. I mean, does Galladay just need a year off? Does, you know, does Godwin need some more time to figure it out? Mixon is on the IR. He's not coming back this year. Lamar, Mark Andrews, there needs to be, they need some work on the offensive line and they'll be okay there. And maybe it's just not the year. Zeke needs Dak back. So I put all my guys down and I, you know, it was a good decision and I stand by it. The match of the week, which, uh, I believe, did I make it the match of the week? I can't remember what I made the match of the week for this. I think I made it Bob versus Matt. But Drew versus Dave was one for the ages. Drew ended up winning 150.6 to 149.3. Drew, by the ESPN Productions, was a big dog. But that dog came out barking. He spent a little on a trade. Oh, I got so into these matchups, I went straight into them. I didn't cover the trades and the waivers. We'll do that after this. Um, he went all in to get Taysom Hill, start him as a tight end, at least for one week. So he had three quarterbacks on his active roster, Andy Dalton, Derek Carr, and Taysom Hill. And honestly, if your two starting quarterbacks in a matchup that is going to determine your playoff spots are Andy Dalton and Derek Carr, I feel like it's only fair that you get to start a third quarterback. Um, And Taysom was actually his highest scorer on his entire team. He had a great game from Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown as the Titans have bounced back from, you know, I bought them on a high. I bought Tannehill on a high, and then Tannehill came crashing down again, and now they're back on a high. They're they're getting into their usual December form, looking like a big threat in the AFC. Justin Jefferson, that draft pick, again, paying massive dividends. And Michael Thomas, another move he's recently— Yeah, this this was a culminating week for Drew. It wasn't only a big dub. Look at all these moves. I mean, made a trade for Taysom Hill. You could say he overpaid, but it got him a dub. Made a trade for Derrick Henry. Drafted A.J. Brown, where nobody thought he should have gone that high. Drafted Justin Jefferson. Traded for Michael Thomas. All of them paying off. All of them paying off. Um, He clearly did not like being crossed off. He came back, and he responded in a big way. 
Dalvin Cook, a recent ad for Dave, was a big help. He was basically 0.1 point from being his highest scorer outside of Russ, another guy that Dave traded for, um, which helped because Jacobs and Kamara, they haven't quite in these past couple of weeks been looking like their usual studly selves. And we thought, you know, okay, he's getting Dalvin Cook to pair with these other two top 10 guys. They haven't been playing like that. So Dalvin Cook might actually be the anchor he needs to push him into the playoffs and get him over the edge. Um, Cup almost gave him the win Monday night. He had a huge performance, only 14 more yards. That's just one more catch for this guy, the yak god, the quote-unquote yak god. But he couldn't do it. Dave could have won this game if he had put in Noah Fant over Tyler Higby or Van Jefferson over Robbie Anderson. Either way, he could have had it. He was so close, but he couldn't do it. So Drew won, and how will that impact the standings? Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to it. Nick versus Devin. Nick was an underdog. He won 147.9 to 139.7. I Oh, this was the match of the week. I remember this because I said whoever won this game would go 3-0. and And by the way, it's looking like that's going to happen. It's looking like that's going to happen. Uh, it was a great match of the week. And even though Burrow left early to a gruesome injury that could have killed Nick's playoff chances conceivably, but we'll talk about some moves he made later on to preserve that. You know, he had Brady come in on Monday Night Football with a with a a, a small a small margin of uh, to to make up. I forget how many points. I think it was about eight. He did just enough to steal it, um, despite. He had a couple picks at the end where it looked like uh, he might make it closer than it needed to be. Um, but Devin got his big game from Clyde Edwards-Alaire. That's like his second on the year, so not bad for the second overall pick to have two games over 20 points. I mean, James Robinson, <laughs> undrafted, has only done that about nine times. Uh, who else is that? Oh, yeah, Antonio Gibson's done that about five times. Good for him. And uh, Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson. So firing on all cylinders at the quarterback position. What's crazy is Devin played his Best lineup possible. He left one point on the bench. One move. He could have added one point. So he had no way to win. Nick won that decisively. In a really big snooze fest, Bill versus Eric. Eric got the win easily. 108.7 to 102.5. Nearly combining for the (laughs) low... Nearly combining for the lowest combined total of the week in spite of me actually putting a tank lineup in. Um, Outside of the Hill and Mahomes combo, which... You know, we'll get to in week 12. It was a pretty dad, bad day for Bill. I mean, he was flexing Marvin Hall in this. Uh, yeah, Matt Ryan goes for 230 yards and two picks. He's been so up and down this year. Um, that's been that's been wild to see. Um, on Eric's side, it's not a big week. You can tell by the points, but nice to have Chubb, Chubb back. Uh, Cooper and Lamb, they've had some life with Dalton. And you love to see the his two quarterbacks, Joe Flacco and Carson Wentz, are posting almost the exact same stat line. Almost the exact same. And I, I don't care how bad the Eagles team is. They have a lot more talent than the Jets. A lot more talent. Um, Bill had a lot of ways to win. He could have played Kirk Cousins over Matt Ryan. That would have been a, an easy dub. Dobbins over about half of everybody he flexed. Or half of any of his flex eligible play eligible players, quarterback, wide receiver, or the the three flexes, or simplest Colts over the Pats D went negative. That's simple dub. Anyways, our last match, Bob versus Matt. Another interesting incident where Bob wins 144.8 to Matt's 137.5, in spite, just like Burrow was hurt for Nick, Tua got benched. Tua got benched in a bad game against a Denver defense that over the past couple years is talented and still frisky. Their offense just sucks so bad they can't dominate. You, you just can't you can't be on the field 
for 70% of the of the playtime and and be a good defense. You just can't. Um, anyways, Goff was heroic in a Monday night performance. Probably his best of the year, I would say. I don't know in terms of fantasy, but just me watching him personally, I thought he really delivered that game. Against a Bucks defense that's been playing really well, but relying particularly in the secondary on some rookies who are, are pa- playing well above their experience level, um, but just Goff and, and, and a lot of those underneath passes and and then the Yak Gods, Woods, and Cup providing. It, it was kind of like a—it was sort of like one of those classic Pats Tom Brady offenses, which was funny to see, um, you know, Arians still trying to get Brady to throw downfield, and it's just not working. And he's force-feeding Antonio Brown and trying to get him to go underneath. But A.B., Devin was right. He's not getting hosed like he used to. I don't know. He's just—it it seems very wrong. It seems like there is a chemistry— scheme something is off there they are not on the same page even though he's trying to get him to be that underneath guy it doesn't seem to be quite working um on Bob's side still Fournette got a touchdown even though his efficiency stunk and I I think this was about the beginning of the end of them saying this guy has no juice and he's dropping easy balls that he should be catching uh he got 20 points from the Browns D a Goddard touchdown a P Ryan touchdown just the classics we're playing all the hits here Matt was a little bit thin at the flex spots that's always his issue it's always his issue went all in on the QBs and uh you know paid off big time it's always his issue um but he had McKissick and Hyde had good games Jacoby Myers and Salvin Ahmed uh, no, nah, they weren't great. You know, playing uh, Brashad Perriman or A.J. Green over Juju would have won it for him, but kept our boy Bobby alive and well, and that's what we want to see. Since this is a shorter podcast, we'll go over all the waivers and the trades over the past couple weeks. Actually, there weren't really any interesting waivers. The best ones that I picked out here was Nate got Taysom Hill for $4. Uh, this was before he announced a starter, so that was a nice move. It was a good insurance policy on Jameis, who Nate also is rostering. And he traded him for a nice haul, which we will get into. Eric grabbed Brandon Allen for $45. Um, I don't know. He needs some starters. He's got to fight for the number one overall pick. That That's a huge... Going up from one to two, it just you know it gives you a lot more versatility. But next highest bid was $1 <laughs> for Brandon Allen. Uh, and Bob got Mike Glennon for free, who outperformed him. So not great there, but you know... Everyone now is, there were a few people that were over the $100 rollover cap limit, so I was hoping they would spend it. We're all down to like the low, I think the highest is like 42. Most people are in 30 or lower. So it's been an interesting year. A lot of money has flown, especially in comparison to earlier in the season and last year when some guys started with, you know, 70 extra dollars from the year prior. So anyways, the big trades, I gave up Tannehill and Marquez Valdez-Scantling to Nick, who gave me Tony Pollard and Drew's first. So here, here's the story on me. You want the full story? I've been cursed. I've been cursed for a long time now. When Bill was entering the playoffs that year, Big and Big Ben got hurt. Or sorry, Cam got hurt. But Big Ben was roaring. And he had a couple cupcake matchups throughout a great playoff schedule. I was out of it. I should have been in it. I had so many. I had the third most points that year. And I was the seventh ranked team. I was just out of it. Pissed off. I need. I knew. I, yeah, I could use Ben to try to get the number one overall pick. I ended up with the number two pick. Back then, the playoff structure was a little different. The seven seed could compete for one, um, but I looked at it as a golden opportunity. So I said to Bill, "I said, okay, I'll give you Ben for Cam Newton. Age difference huge. Potential difference. Dynasty ranking at the time. That's a big jump down. A big jump down. Didn't like that. I said, okay, you pick." 
Well, you throw me a second round pick. I forget what it turned into, but I said, I'll give you either Aaron Jones or carry on Johnson. Both were rookies. Both of them had interesting years. Um, Aaron Jones, it was a little questionable with the usage. He was in and out a lot. Carry on was only out because of injuries, but was getting a lot of the usage prior. Bill did some research and he said, Aaron Jones. And that sent me on a downward spiral because the next year I come in in the year, I made some other deals. I thought I was stacked at running back. And I get all these injuries. I get Mixon injured. I get, I, I just had, I can't even remember who I had on my team. I basically had Zeke and nobody else to start. And I kept saying to myself, Aaron Jones is killing it. If he had just, oh, carry on was a guy that got injured. If Bill had just taken carry on, if I just forced carry on on him and not, and didn't get rid of Aaron Jones. If I just did that right, I wouldn't have to do what I'm going to have to do right now. And what I did was trade my first pick, nine. It, my first rounder, which ended up being nine last year, plus Miles Sanders, plus Terry McLaurin, to Devin for Le'Veon Bell in his second round. You've heard it a hundred times. Look, my team would be better with Miles Sanders and Terry McLaurin. That's not even the worst part of it. That's not even the worst part of it. The worst part of it, it probably is the fact that I later made a trade for Net for Devonte Adams, which was not great either. Okay, it was, it was not great. Trust me, but, but. I did that because Le'Veon Bell still wasn't working out. Despite a cake schedule, I bought him right before some great matchups, and he just continued to be inefficient, and the Jets continued to be a dumpster fire. And for my playoff push, quote-unquote, which I made the championship, I don't remember what happened after, I needed running back help. So I had to keep digging that well. If I hadn't made that trade to Billy, which very late in the season got him a championship, it cursed me, doomed me to never sniff one. Never sniff one. And the worst part of it is, do you know who I would have taken at nine? I've heard Dave say a couple times, if I could go back, I'd take Herbert at six. Well, yeah, no fucking shit. If we could go back, Herbert's number one. But you weren't going to take. You were between Akers and Seedy. We all know that. I tell you for 1,000%, I had Herbert way above Judy, way above Gibson, way above Jefferson, Ruggs, Higgins, whoever the fuck was left. If I had my nine overall after Matt took Tua at eight, it would have been me with Herbert at nine. And Herbert at nine would have won me this league this year. I just fucking know it. I fucking know it. And it would have set me up for a lifetime. But I'm not that lucky. And I'm fucking cursed. So what I do this year... I flipped Tannehill for a first twice. Flipped Le'Veon Bell for a first. I took all my past mistakes and said, we are going to dump those tires into the river, set them ablaze, and let the future and the earth be born anew in the next draft. And that's what I continued to do here. It's a fine move for Nick. He had no chance of going through these playoffs. I was going to cross him off this week before he made that move, but I can't do it. Because now he's got a shot. Tannehill's got a great schedule down the stretch. He might have just enough juice to actually get there. He's going to have a bye. He's only going to have to win two games. And he might maintain the one seed. If he plays the, the worst rated team in his second round, and then he just also went one game. Anybody can win one game. He's in a great position. It's a great move for him. But for me, I get the Zeke insurance policy Pollard, which I've been trying to get for a while, and I get another first, another crack at somebody sexy, somebody new. We're burning clear in house. We're keeping only the studs, and we're starting new.
Anyways, Nate got Melvin Gordon, Jamison Crowder, and a 2023 second. Watch out. He also has Bob's 2023 first. That's going to be his draft. And Drew got Taysom Hill. Worth it for the dub. And Taysom Hill has been a strong starter for, for Drew, who's other quarterbacks have just been so mediocre. They've really been holding him back in just their endless mediocrity. Gordon is only on the books for one more year. He'll probably stay there. The Broncos clearly have bigger issues than the running game right now. O-line, quarterback, uh, that's pretty much it when I look at them. But he'll, he'll stay around, so that's a nice piece. Crowder can be cut next year for a dead cap of $1 million, or they could pay him $10 million. <laughs> So depending on how the Jets handle free agency, I don't know if keeping Crowder is the number one, uh, like unless he restructures his contract. I don't think it's their number one priority. I think they will probably try to get as much cap space as they can to devote to the O-line, knowing that they can get Trevor Lawrence, trying to make an appeal to him not to go back for a senior season, that they're going to protect him and what happened to Burrow will not happen to him. And let's be real, they got, um, they got Mekhi Becton this year, who's played really well. So if they can continue to hit tackle, and this year's class of tackles I hear is deep, and they can get somebody in free agency, just some veterans, just some veteran guards, just that can plug and play, guys that know what they're doing to be leaders, I think they're going to be good. And I think it'll be, not good, but I think he won't be under as much duress as Burrow was this year, especially because their GM was an O-lineman. He understands the importance of that. So I don't know if Crowder's going to be there next year, but if he is, he, along with Denzel Mims, I made this point when Bill and Drew, Bill and Dev, sorry, Bill and Devin made the trade involving Mims. As soon as Trevor Lawrence is drafted, those guys' stock goes up, so that's a nice grab. Um, but Drew getting Taysom Hill, he needed it. He needed it bad. It kept him competitive. It's it's really been the key to his past two weeks, and we'll get to his other week after that. Um but to think that Nate got all of that, Gordon, Crowder, and a second for four bucks in fab, that's a fucking, that was a great move. Great move. Prescient move. Okay, let's get to the rankings. In first place is Nick. Well, this is as of week 11. We shouldn't even go over this because we already have another week, but it's kind of interesting. Nick at seven and four, got the most points in the league, leading the bullshit division. And then Matt is in second place at 7-4 and four as well. He's got the fourth most points in the league, leading the cuck division. Dave with the loss, 6-5 and five there, second most points in the league. Had a chance to jump Matt, but he couldn't beat Drew. Oh, I'm sorry. By the way, Nick is up one spot. Matt is down one spot because Nick tied up on the doves. Dave is in the same spot. And then Drew in fourth place at 6-5, and five, seventh most points in the league, jumped up three spots. Thanks to an incredible win. I'm in fifth place after a tank, six and five, down one, eighth most points in the league. Devin at five and six. He moves nowhere. He was there before. He's got third most points in the league. He's the last playoff spot. Then Bill at five and six, down two slots, kicked out of the playoffs with a bad performance, fifth most points in the league. We talked about how volatile his scoring is, but it's really, really up and down. Bob is your eighth seed, five and six. Same spot as last week, six most points in the league. Nate and Eric rounding it out, four and seven, nine and ten in scoring, no movement. Just for just for funsies, if we did the half point thing, I, I did it again for you. It would go Nick, Dave, De- no Nick, Dave, Devin, Dan, Matt, Drew would be our last playoff team, and then Bob, Bill, Nate, and Eric. Bob and Bill would switch spots, but other than that, the real kings would be Dave would be leading. The, bull, the cuck division instead of in third, the third seed. Devin would be the third seed up three slots due to his consistent performances. Matt would be the fifth seed nearly out of playoff contention because he 
doesn't score that high all that often, but he seems to get the dubs. Um, and then Drew would be down two slots, the last team in. You know, he has seven. He's the seventh most points overall, so not too surprising there. Anyways, I don't think there's really all that much left to say. We're going to do another podcast right now. We're going to cover those matchups. We're going to cover the latest standings and what everybody's looking forward to, a playoff picture. How high can you possibly rise and how low could you fall? Well, I'm going to record another podcast right now. Bye-bye.